As I am taping this podcast, I have my uh, Boyer's Coffee. Aspen Gold is uh, my go-to brand, and I have it delivered at home. You can do the same by going to boyerscoffee.com. They have great flavors. They have great products. They always have great deals going. In fact, uh, so right now they have 20% off on a number of their coffee products. So again, go to boyerscoffee.com to see exactly what suits you and have it delivered to your house. It's that easy. Or you can go to the market. Uh, we all go to the market and you'll find it at uh, your favorite grocery store as well. That's boyerscoffee.com. They've been brewing great coffee in the Rocky Mountain region since 1965. Locally owned, locally operated, environmentally conscious, and a great, great member of our community. Feels better to drink their coffee. Boyer's Coffee. Hey, folks, got a little snow finally. Actually looked like Colorado, didn't it, recently? Got me thinking about my friends at Steel. S-T-I-H-L, steeldealers.com. More than 10,000 steel dealers around the country. So there's one uh, in your neighborhood, I'm sure. Go to Steel USA, S-T-I-H-L USA, and you're going to find all kinds of wonderful products with the snow on the ground. There's snow blowers, um, you know, ways to uh, remove the snow. And also, you're going to see deals on uh, getting that equipment for when the snow clears and spring uh, blossoms here in the Rocky Mountains to clean up your yard with trimmers, with mowers, with chainsaws. They got everything. Battery powered, my preference, electric, gas powered as well. And it's ridiculous how many products they have. From folks like you who try to get it done on their own to the professionals, Steel, S-T-I-H-L. Check them out. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, former Cincinnati Bengal and longtime Bengals broadcaster Dave Lapa, who says watch out for Joe Burrow. High football IQ. I mean, a football savant. And I think he not only understands every nuance of his offense, he understands every nuance of what defenses are trying to do to take away his offense. Drew has some thoughts on the college football championship. And Zach joins the show to talk avalanche. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome in to show number 131 on the uh, Drew Goodman Podcast. We appreciate uh, you listening and telling your friends every week. And I uh, hope the new year is off to a flying start. What's hot brought to you by Boyers? Well, the national championship was held. Uh, I know you saw it. And congratulations to the dogs, the Georgia Bulldogs. Knock off Alabama. I didn't have that one right. I told you last week I was going with Nick Saban. But they deserve to win. They won the fourth quarter. They win it 33-18 over Alabama in what was a defensive struggle for uh, three quarters of that game. Great defenders everywhere you looked. It was entertaining, though. A lot of times you think, oh, a defensive game can't be entertaining. It was plenty entertaining. And uh, it's been a long time. What, 41 years for Georgia? I have to go back to the Herschel Walker days. Last time uh, they won a national championship. Well, if, if you're just a football fan and you're maybe a hardcore football fan, you start looking at college players and go, all right, who's going to be impactful on Sunday? There was a bunch of guys running around on that field for Georgia and Alabama, especially defensively, that are going to be really high picks in the NFL draft. It's different watching those two teams play football. They're just better right now 
at least this year, than everyone else. Alabama has been that way year in and year out. They have more great football players than the school that you follow. There are schools that have been close, Ohio State, LSU, Clemson, obviously. But right now, at the conclusion of the 21 season, here in January of 2022, the two best teams clearly played for a national championship, and Georgia deserved to win. In terms of talent, again, they have more great players than everyone else, especially, man, defensively. That front seven for Georgia, ridiculous. And Alabama, you know, that ain't shabby either. Will Anderson and company, it it was fun. It it was really enjoyable um, to watch. And uh, I I congratulate Georgia, not that they need my congratulations, but more importantly, I congratulate a couple of uh, friends of mine who are Georgia alum, and I know we're absolutely over the moon at the conclusion. Paul Egan's, you know the name. Uh, Paul has been with the Rockies since 92. He's a longtime traveling secretary. There is not a finer, nicer human being on planet Earth than Paul Egan's. And uh, he loves his Georgia Bulldogs. And I know he was, uh, again, super excited. And uh, former assistant clubhouse manager for the, uh, for the Rockies, Tyler Sanders, is Georgia alum. In fact, he has a Georgia helmet in front of his desk in the uh, clubhouse. But uh, I was happy for those guys as well. It was fun. It was fun. And uh, guess what? Alabama, all reports are they're supposed to be better next year. And that's no surprise. Hey, one one takeaway. At the very um, conclusion of the coverage of that game, and you may have seen this because it got a lot of play on social media, Bryce Young and Will Anderson, offensive star, defensive star for Alabama, sophomores, were sitting on either side of Nick Saban uh, in front of the assembled media after the game. And whoever was moderating said, okay, thanks for joining us, fellas. And he was basically ending the press conference for the players. And they both got up, and Nick Saban put put a hand on, on both of their respective arms and had him sit back down. He said, I want to make a point. And he went on for about a minute about how fine those two kids are and what great competitors they are and that the outcome of this game doesn't define them and he's so proud of them and uh, he he just was effusive in his praise of who they are how they'd done so much to help Alabama get to the national championship game and I, I thought it was a telling moment about Nick Saban when you try to figure out as to why he has been so successful and will go down as one of the greatest football coaches, not just college, NFL, wherever you look. And I'm not talking about when he was the Miami coach, as in the Dolphins coach. I'm talking about just coaching football and being a leader. You got a little bit of insight there as to why he is who he is and why his guys perform at such a high level for him. And I know he gets great talent, but there's a reason he gets great talent. Anyhow, I thought that was uh, neat. If you haven't seen it, uh, look it up on uh, on social media. So congrats uh, to Georgia. All right, now on to the Denver Broncos. 
They, not surprisingly, are making a coaching change, along with several other teams in the NFL. It came on Black Monday. The Giants, my Giants, extended into Tuesday. The the firing of Joe Judge came on Tuesday. But Black Monday, Vic Fangio, I think it was like the first out of the gate. The first reports of any coach being fired, was it was the Broncos moving on from a very likable guy, by all accounts, in Vic Fangio, a guy who has great respect throughout the league for what he's done as a defensive coordinator. And I know that for a lot of people, because the offense was not very good, they say, all right, we got to hire a guy that comes from the offensive side of the ball. I think that is so misplaced, that that idea that whatever side of the ball you happen to be more deficient on, when you are making a head coaching change, you have to hire somebody who's had success from that side of the ball as a coordinator, let's say. It is so overrated. It's not about that. It's about leadership. It's about structure and organization. And you can hire a great offensive coordinator, a great play caller, great coaches on that side of the ball, coupled with, guess what? You have to have great talent, and you'll get better on that side of the ball. But the number one thing is, more than even college, in the NFL, we know this. You have to have a quarterback. You got to have one. And there's only a handful of truly elite ones. And the teams that are playing on typically have a good quarterback. Dave Lapham's going to join us in a little while. An old friend, uh, a guy who played in the league for 10 years, uh, a, a guy that, that knows football backwards and forwards, and, and he has the pleasure of calling the Bengals games every week. They have Joe Burrow, great young talent, a quarterback. You know who their head coach is? Some of you go, yeah, who is that head coach? Zach Taylor. Is Zach Taylor a better coach than Vic Fangio? Is he a better coach than Brian Flores, who was dismissed, and that was a shocker, uh, by Miami. Well, I, I don't know, but I tend to doubt it. And it's not a knock on Zach Taylor, but they have a really good young quarterback. Right? You got to have one. If Vic Fangio was coaching and Peyton Manning was still playing football for the Broncos late in his prime, guess what? We'd be celebrating Vic Fangio. Uncle Vic, you got to have a quarterback. That's more important. But don't fall into the trap of, oh, you got to hire somebody from that side of the ball. That's bunk. I'm not buying it. And in fact, when you hear my interview with Dave Lapham, we talk about this. And he makes a point about one of the most successful coaches in the last 20, 30 years and where he came from. That's a little tease uh, on the interview coming up. But uh, I think it is so overplayed that you have to hire, you know, a guy who, who called plays. No, you don't. I'll even go back to college. Dabo Sweeney, who's had ridiculous success at Clemson, national championships, etc. He was the wide receiver coach at Clemson. He wasn't even a coordinator. Doesn't have to be 
you know, the, the guy that called plays or the guy that, um, you know, had the stout defense the last few years. And so that's the guy we're going to go and get. And it doesn't even necessarily mean you have to go and get somebody off of Bill Belichick's staff because Bill Belichick's the GOAT, and therefore everybody that works for him must be a great head coaching candidate. That hasn't played out necessarily uh, as well. All right, we're going to segue to hockey for a moment, talk about the Avalanche, who've been on quite a run. I have to tell you, um, I took my middle son, who is a huge, huge Avalanche fan, as am I, uh, to the Toronto game. And, well, here's a funny story. So we go sit down. Zach joins me. Zach, uh, we we go sit down, and we have a a Toronto fan behind us. And that's fine. You know, it's free country, right? Free North America. We're happy to see our, our, our good friends from the North. Well, this gentleman happened to be one of the loudest and more obnoxious fans I've been around in a while, and he had a lot to be excited about because the uh, uh, Maple Leafs uh, jumped out to a 3 to nothing lead. That was, uh, I, I thought it was going to be a long night. Yeah, it started to be a long night. I like the analogy you made that if he was doing a radio game that people would tell him he's got to stop talking so much. Uh, he'd nonstop every time there was a D to D pass in the D zone, just clapping. Uh, we ended up being able to move away from him. But yeah, a brutal start for the Avalanche. And the last 40 minutes of that game was a complete opposite of the first 20 minutes. The Az really took it to them. They did. It turned out to be one of the great regular season games I've been at probably since, you know, it was Forsberg and Sackick and Foote and, and some of the great teams that the Avalanche had during their, uh, their heyday. I will say this. I wanted to go back up when the Avalanche tied it and it was 4-4 and go sit next to him again. And you prevented me from doing that. Yeah, I didn't want the conflict. <laughs> yeah, did not want the conflict. The, there was so much skill on the ice that night for the Avalanche, as they, as they show every single night. But the Rantanen pass was unbelievable. The McCarr goal, which happened right in front of us, was, we had the perfect angle of it, uh, as, as well as the taste goal to finish it off, the tic-tac-toe play they made. Uh, the give-and-go, excuse me, play they made at the end there. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And I have to tell you, for... You know, night in and night out for your entertainment dollar. I don't know if it gets better than NHL hockey, particularly if you have a great team uh, and such an exciting team to watch, especially in the offensive end as the Avalanche are. Yeah, it's 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 so exciting to watch it. You talk about you know what you're getting out of your dollar for going and spending a game, especially because there's really no bad seat in hockey. I remember back to that uh, abysmal season they had a few years ago where they were one of the worst teams in NHL history. Uh, we would go to a ton of games, and we'd pay 4 or $5 to go sit up in the top. Uh, that doesn't happen anymore. They're the, the greatest show in hockey right now. Uh, they're so much fun to watch uh, wherever you're sitting, uh, whether that's at home or at Ball Arena. It's, it's been a blast. And it doesn't matter if they fall behind you know, a couple of goals. They seem to do that on a nightly basis, and you know they're going to come storming back. And I hope people realize what a privilege, just like it was when the Avalanche had Forsberg and Sackick and the Hall of Fame roster and Wah, you know, between the pipes and Rob Blake was there for a while. And, of course, Adam Foote and some of the guys we were just talking about, just how gifted they were then but are now because McKinnon is a rare talent. Kale McCarr uh, is phenomenal. I mean, he's you know, odds on right now, a uh, chance to win the, the Norris Trophy as the best defenseman uh, in, in all of hockey. But uh, up and down that roster, it is really, really gifted. It's incredible the way it happens, especially in the salary cap era. 
the way it all worked out with Sackick has just been incredible, the way he's manipulated the money. McKinnon's on the greatest deal in maybe hockey history right now. They have two more years of that. You got in back, and Rantanen's overlooked because he plays next to McKinnon. Rantanen's one of the best 10 players in hockey as well. Landis charged a great power forward. I know they're paying him more. But you're not paying Kale McCarr a ton of money because he's so young, and he's the best defenseman in the league. I think the only person that would argue that is if you're donning New York Rangers hats and saying it's Adam Fox. But you know, other than that, I mean, Kale McCarr is is incredible. Devontae's right next to him is one of the best. You, you could argue he's one of the best three defensemen in the league. He's probably been the best defenseman in the league so far this season, uh, right next to Kale McCarr. And it, it, it's been incredible the way Sackett has put together a roster this talented. Now, one of the questions, because there's always questions, that hardcore Avalanche fans are going to have, and I'm one of them, is Darcy Kemper good enough to win in the postseason? I think yes, if you look at... Uh, when the Avalanche had to play the the Coyotes in the bubble a couple years ago, the Avs won four one uh, won that series in five games. That series they should have won all four of those. Yeah, they should have swept them. And they should have won each game by five goals. And Darcy Kemper stood on his head for the Coyotes. And we've seen flashes of that at times, but he has just not been the same player that he was in Arizona. His last second half of the season, so the second half of what we've seen this season so far, uh, has been a lot better. But I think a lot of fans is, and I know the Avalanche don't really shut down. I mean, they're basically a write-in for four goals a night. But there hasn't been a game where you know the Avalanche that didn't play great in front of him, but you know he stood on his head and stole a win for him. And I feel like most goalies in the league uh, at least have a couple of those a year. And I think that Darcy obviously has the talent to do that, but with the high standards that fans are expecting out of him, it's not going the way that uh, everyone envisioned going into the season. And it's going to need to be because we all know what playoff hockey's like, and you're not going to score four, five, six goals a night. Typically, there may be an aberration. You have a, a, a game like that in the postseason. But there's a lot of two-to-one, real physical, 3-2 type hockey games, and you need your goalie not just to make the routine. You're going to need him as... We say in hockey, you know, stand on his head, steal a game, that sort of thing. Make the special save, multiple uh, special saves. We won't know until we get to the spring, but it is the one concern, honestly, that I have. It's every single game, and I still have a lot of faith in Darcy Kemper, honestly, but every single game, he'll let in three, four goals when it happens, and after the game, you look at the goals, you go, oh, those really, really weren't his fault, you know, that how's he supposed to stop that? But you can only say that for so long until you had, you had to expect him to make some saves like that. And it, it hasn't happened yet this year, but I, I do see his game improving, and uh, hopefully it continues. If not, I know the Avalanche are very high on uh, Pavel Francouz, and he's he's played well in his last two games. He had one bad goal uh, a couple nights ago against the Kraken. But uh, other than that, Frankie has played exceptionally well, and I know he's probably more than likely the goalie of the future for the Avalanche. I know this one bothered you quite a bit, and it, it bothered me and anybody that, that's an Avalanche fan or just cares about people in general. Bo Byram's dealt with, uh, who's such a gifted young player, gifted young defenseman, has dealt with now multiple concussions and has stepped away. It, it's tough to watch. I don't know Bo Byram, but it, it's tough to watch. And like everyone, you just wish him all of the best. Forget hockey. Just hope he's able to um, to overcome, if you will. Forget hockey. You're right. If he never plays again, 
and his his mental health and, and well-being is better because of it. I think uh, as an Az fan, you kind of got to you know, take your cap off and say this is better for him in general. Hopefully he can he can eventually come back and, and play because he, he is a budding superstar. And, you know, the Avs were so disappointed when they, they didn't get the lottery pick a couple years ago. Uh, but now you look at it, they got him number four. Uh, Jack Hughes has been fine, but, you know, you take him over Capo and uh, Kirby Doc. So, you know, he's, he's really played well and he was budding into a superstar and that's that's hard to see. But more importantly, you, you got to make sure because obviously head injuries and uh, the NFL deals with it as well. It's a major issue. Uh, a bunch of hockey players that were were physical in the days have come out and said, you know, their their life has is not been as good their their quality of life since they've been done playing because of these head injuries, and it's definitely not something to mess around with, especially with someone as young as Bo Byron. There you go. Hey, love you, buddy. <laughs> Thank you. All love right. you too. That's our uh, abs update from our uh, our abs local expert, my son Zach, who's now headed back to St. Louis in a uh, baseball season. All right, I'm really excited about our Ideal Home Loans uh, interview of the week. It's a conversation with uh, an old friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, a guy that I have immense respect for because uh, he brings such passion and such great knowledge to Bengals broadcasts on a weekly basis on the radio. He's been part of the Bengals uh radio broadcast team since uh, he retired in, in 86, so it's about 35 years. And I worked with him on college football on television for a number of years. And I'm telling you what, I've had, uh, I've been blessed to have so many great partners, so many fun partners, so many knowledgeable bar- partners. But I've had as much fun with anybody that I've ever worked with week in and week out uh, that I had with Dave uh, over the years when we were doing, you know, Big 8, Big 12 football uh, together. Uh, he, he's he's a, he's a mensch, man. He's a, he's a wonderful, wonderful guy. And I think you're going to enjoy uh, a wide-ranging conversation about football and about coaches uh, and about broadcasting. It is our Ideal Home Loans Interview of the Week. The radio analyst for the Cincinnati Bengals, Dave Lapham. Dave, I'm going to jump in right here. Does Joe Burrow now? Has he paid cash for uh, for the for the city of Cincinnati? Is he own it now officially? I'll tell you what, it, it's all about Joe Burrow. And you would love it, Joe. I mean, this dude has got high, high football IQ. I mean, a football savant. And I think he not only understands every nuance of his offense, he understands every nuance of what defenses are trying to do to take away his offense. His dad uh, played football at Nebraska and uh, played in, tried out in the NFL, played up in Canada, uh, coached on the defensive side of football for many, many years. His last uh, 15 years of his career was defensive coordinator at Ohio University where uh, Joe was born in Athens, Ohio. And, and I'm telling you, he understands defense as well as he understands offense. And that's a, that's a heck of a thing. I mean, when, when this guy gets up to the line of scrimmage, and he starts looking at things, you know, he'll start a snap count, he'll hit his helmet and kill it, and all he's doing is processing information. He's getting intel, and he's seeing, you know, pre-snap, are they rolling pre-snap, are they showing any kind of a blitz look? And I'm sure opposing defensive coordinator's like, oh, no, he's got us, man. Then he'll start the snap count again, and and he's he's as good as I've seen a young quarterback in getting a pre-snap lead 
but then after the snap, immediately confirming it. You know, a lot of lot of young guys fall in a trap to get in a pre-snap read, and it's not quite what you think post-snap, and they don't bother confirming it uh, as well as they should. Joe's way ahead of the game in that regard. And, and I'll tell you what, and it's interesting. I just saw an interview with him, Dave, in front of uh, you guys playing Vegas, and they asked him about his big game experience being at LSU. And I think there's something to that in that I know it's the NFL, I know it's a different animal, um, but he's played on big stages. Dave, you know, you've been at a million big college venues. The LSU, that dwarfs a crowd you're going to get in the NFL, man. You're right. I mean, there's no doubt. Playing in the SEC at a lot of those venues, it'll get you ready. I mean, that's the highest level of college football, bar none. And and then to take it, you know, national championship and, and perform it at the highest level in a national championship game, this dude is Joe Cool. I mean, there's no, there's no question about it. He does not get rattled. He's a very, very unflappable guy. And he's so even keel, so consistent, laser-focused guy, um, a, a poker face the whole time. I'd hate to play cards against the dude. You really don't know what's going on in that head, and there's a million things going on. Um, but I, I think he's, I think he's going to be ready for this stage. I agree. I think he's, He's already performed on big stages and performed at a very high level. Won himself a national championship and a Heisman Trophy. And now he's got the guy that uh, that he worked with at LSU, Jamar Chase. And, and those two are, you talk about on the same page, it's like ESP, mental telepathy. I mean, Joe Burrow is putting the ball in small portholes where the only guy that can make a play on it is Jamar Chase. And Jamar Chase knows exactly where Joe's going to throw it. And Joe knows Jamar knows who's it is amazing to watch these guys put on put on some of the shows that they put on. I mean, the game against Kansas City, Jamar Chase put on a clinic. There was not much separation in a lot of those routes. Uh, you know, Kansas City played good man coverage on him, and, and he and Burrow still connected for explosives. I mean, big, big plays. It was phenomenal to watch. Dave, you played with, with some great ones. Going back to your Bengal days, you played with Kenny Anderson. You, you've seen some great ones, Boomer Esiason, um, and, and obviously you know, broadcasting in the NFL and major college football as long as you have. And I always fall back on, on this because I want to talk quarterbacks with you for a moment. And that is the most important – we always talk about arm talent and athleticism and this and that. You got – for me, tell me if you differ – the number one thing is open in the NFL. You were just describing it's a smidgen. It ain't like college football for the most part, where you know you and I could make some of the throws because guys are open by four or five yards. You have to be accurate, man. Is to me that's the number one trait. Know where to go with it and be accurate. Bingo, big time. It is. Windows are tiny, and, uh, and it's great to have a howitzer hanging off your right shoulder. But if you can't find those spots, it doesn't mean a hill of beans. And and the thing the thing with Burrow is, I mean, his his mind's like a little computer, you know, it's like, oh, I'd like to put this kind of trajectory on the football and I'm gonna drop it right in this hole. And he does it. It's like, man, to have the to have the touch and you know, the the accuracy like you talk about, um, he he throws a very, very catchable football. There's there's no no two ways about it. Um I, I think though, like a lot with a lot of the great ones, give me a quarterback that's got it going on from the neck up. You know, what I mean, and Joe Burrow has the head and mind for football, just like Peyton Manning, who you experienced out there in Denver, 
at the at the tail end of his career, but I mean, still a brilliant football minded guy. You know, the Tom Brady's of the world. And those guys, the the, uh, the protocols, the preparation that that's what turned them on more than, as much as anything. They love getting ready for it all week long. That's what Burrow does. You know, when you when your best player is is playing quarterback and he's got the best work ethic and he's the first guy in the building, the last to leave, it raises the whole boat. Everybody's like, man. Look what Barrow's doing. Jeez, I, I better step it up. I better do a little bit more. It's just unbelievable, you know, the example that, that he sets, uh, you know, from a leadership standpoint for his teammates, just like all the great ones. I mean, that's what Brady's all about. That's what Peyton was all about. And, uh, you know, I, there's, there's no shortcuts. These guys prove that. Yeah, and, and it's funny because, Dave, for the most part, you know, I've said this a bunch, when you talk about the elite quarterbacks in the league, and you have to have one that's the most important individual position in all of sports. It really is. And we we talk about the same names. When Peyton was around, it was Peyton and Rodgers and Brady and, you know, Drew Brees, and then five years later, it was Peyton and Rodgers and Drew Brees, the same dudes, right? And, you know, now you can throw, I think, a Russell Wilson in that you, you know, grouping. There's there's guys that kind of enter it. Joe Burrow, he's a young guy, but he certainly looks like he's on his way. Do we quit at the NFL level? Um, do we quit on guys way too soon? The Broncos are trying to find a quarterback like so many other teams. And, and I'm intrigued by Drew Locke. But, the, you know, the kids had about 20 starts in his NFL career. And, and now, you know, they, they passed on him at the beginning of the season. They may pass on him again this offseason. Yeah, I mean, when you when you look at the, the first season of many of the greats in the National Football League, I mean, Peyton Manning set the rookie record for most interceptions. You know, when he was a rookie, and, and look at what he evolved to. It's it's like, you know, they expect a, a quarterback to have one of the virtues they want him to have is patience. But organizationally, sometimes <laughs> they don't have the patience to allow the quarterback to have the patience. You know, it's like. Right. It's got to it's got to start with the organization, and and I do think you're right. It's it's um this without a doubt playing the quarterback position at the NFL level is the most difficult thing to do in all of pro sports. I I totally agree with you, and uh, it's you know it's the most important position in all sports for that reason, and you, you have to have a quarterback playing at a high level. If you want to get into the playoffs, and if you want to advance in the playoffs, well, well, here in Cincinnati, a good example is uh, two times the Bengals advanced to the Super Bowl. They had Kenny Anderson was MVP in 1981, and you know made the Pro Bowl, obviously, and all that, and they go to the Super Bowl. 1988, Umar Sison, MVP of the regular season, goes to the Pro Bowl, goes to the Super Bowl, all that. You have you have a, a quarterback that's intelligent, that's playing well. You you jump on his shoulders and you ride with him as far as you can. The Broncos are looking for a coach, and Dave, you've been you know Marvin was there, Marvin Lewis for a long time. Then you know now you're on on the Zach Taylor, and um, it seems to me that we put too much stock in what side of the ball you are weak on, and therefore you have to hire a head coach from who who has a, a more extensive background on that side of the ball. I think leadership trumps everything. You played a long time, Dave. You've been around football forever. What's your take on 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 who makes a good head coach, if you will? You know, I mean, it's a, it's an often used term and it gets cliche, but th- these coaches in this era of football, 
the Vince Lombardi's, the Bill Parcells. It, it would have been interesting to see how they would have adapted, and, and because everything's about culture. I mean, the players the players are looking for it. The players are almost demanding it. You know, I mean, they they want to basically have a culture that they feel comfortable with that they can thrive in, and not necessarily a dictatorship. You know, they two things. One of the, one of the best coaches I was ever around was Dick LeBeau, and Dick LeBeau the players had two feelings for Dick LeBeau, and one was they liked him, actually they loved him, and they respected him. Now, when you have both, you have something really, really seriously unique because some, some players, you know, love coaches because, you know, it's a player's coach and he's just almost like one of the guys. They don't necessarily respect him, though, because it's like, eh, his game plan, eh, he didn't really do anything to help us, but love the guy, great guy and everything. It's better to have the respect for a coach you know, I, I believe in this guy's game plan. I'm buying what his, he's selling. He's going to make me a better football player. You have to have that. But when you have the respect and really like the guy and love the guy and will do anything for the guy, that's when you have something uh, really, really serious going on. And, and I think that's the key to success in this era of player, in this era of football, the National Football League. You have to have a guy that the players can both, you know, at least like and respect and, and build a culture where everybody, the relationships with the coaches and the coaching staff to each other and to the players is strong. And the relationship amongst the players is strong and to the coaches is strong. Where it's just, you know, it's a fluid scenario at all levels. And, and that's where I think uh, organizations that have a guy that has that figured out and can build that and cultivate it and develop it, I think that's where you're going to have success. Dave, you know so many coaches uh, in, in this league, and, and now, as we said, the Broncos, like another number of teams, are, are looking for a head coach. If you were a decision maker, if you were a GM, um, and, and in particular for the, for the Broncos, an organization from afar that you know well, um, what? Give me a few names that you go, man. I'm impressed with this guy. I mean, I, I, we all know a lot of the names, but who who impresses you? Who do you, who who fits some of the criteria that you just uh, articulated? Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I guess I would. To, to me, it has to be, and I'm not sure that any of these guys that are that are uh, that are out there right now available candidates. You know, sometimes it, it ends up being somebody that just comes out of nowhere, you know, and, and somebody is out there, somebody has found, uh, like when Mike Tomlin interviewed with the Pittsburgh Steelers, that was a courtesy interview. I mean, they were just, uh, you know, they, they had the, uh, the rule where you had to interview at least two uh, minority candidates uh, in, in your hiring process. And he was one of the guys the Pittsburgh Steelers. It was almost like a check-the-box kind of interview. And Mike Tomlin blew their socks off. <laughs> And, right. and here's a guy that has never had a losing season in his entire NFL career. You know, you, it, it's all about the quarterback, though. They keep saying, I mean, he had Ben Roethlisberger for most of it. And together, they'd never experienced a losing season. And somehow, they cobbled together a, a playoff season this year. So it's, sometimes a guy shows up um, out of nowhere during the interview process, and it's like, geez. I'm going to do a little bit more due diligence on this guy and, and uh, you know, and, and, and take a look and, and now bring him back for a second interview and, and involve more people in the process and 
it, it, it's it's real interesting, and I'm not sure around the league if there's like a it, that, that's that's lightning in a bottle kind of thing. You know, I mean that's like something that doesn't happen all that often. But literally, Mike Tomlin was not on anybody's radar. You know, he wasn't on anybody's list anywhere. If he was, it was he was way down the list. And the Pittsburgh Steelers found themselves a gem. Now, and the Denver Broncos uh, do the same thing. It's uh, you, you do hear about guys, though, young guys, that he's got a bright future. This guy is, uh, you know, these guys prove themselves so so early in their in their coaching careers in terms of uh, expanding their role, just like a great player expands his role. They give the, these young coaches an assignment, and man, they they they're stellar. Give them a little yeah. bit more. Give them a little bit more, and, and then all of a sudden you, you, you got a guy that's a that's a, a football savant, and you didn't even realize it. So I'm, I'm sure there are, I'm sure there are candidates like that out there that, that nobody really knows about, and those are the hard ones I don't have to uncover. But uh, to me, if I were if I were in the hiring process, I wouldn't necessarily uh, here's five names. That everybody knows about, and uh, I'm going to make a, I'm going to limit it to, the, to, to that group and, and cut it down from there. I would make it wide open. I would I would explore every avenue that I could explore to try to unearth one of these coaches that maybe not not everybody is talking about or everybody's hearing about. I mean, I would uh, I would do a vast vast due diligence research project for sure. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting follow up. I'll tell you what, from afar, I've such great respect for the Steeler organization. Three coaches, fifty-two years. But I love Mike Tomlin. Is there anything better than a Mike Tomlin post-game uh, press conference? I'm telling you, man, the guy's a wordsmith. You know, and, and the, he always there's always a message. There's always a message given, but then you can go three different directions for subliminal messages. You know, I mean, right. it's unbelievable. The dude says so much in so few words, but the words that he chooses are perfect. And it's like, man, he can take you a lot of places. Unbelievable. We'll have more with Bengals radio analyst and a former partner of mine, Dave Lapham, in a moment. But uh, quickly a word for Ideal Home Loans. I have been involved with Ideal Home Loans for a number of years now. Brent Ivinson's a good friend. Uh, he does a great job. It's that simple. And I've sent him a number of people over the years, and they all come back completely satisfied, and several of those are like me. They've gone back again to refinance or after purchasing another home to get their deal done, their mortgage done with Ideal Homes. You can do it uh, just as we've done it by giving them a call at 303-867-7000. Again, it's Ideal Home Loans, 303-867-7000. More than 20 years Great member of our community. Uh, give them a shout. They're going to save you money. 303-867-7000. Ideal Home Loans. Brent Ivinson's team. Now back to more with Dave Lapham. Last night, uh, Georgia, as we taped this, Georgia and Alabama, uh, for, especially on the defensive side of the ball, Dave, I mean, how many guys who are going to you're going to be talking about in the next couple of years are running around for Alabama and Georgia? I mean, that was that was just at a different level, speed wise, hitting wise. That's what I felt. No doubt. Uh, the University of Cincinnati had a historic season here and, and made the pro, uh, the college football playoffs, the, the final four um, and, and, and they had the matchup against Alabama and. 
you know, my whole thing, everybody's all excited, and it, it was great. And the skilled players could really play with anybody. But having done Big 12 football with you, and we, we played, uh, those teams would play SEC schools, and you'd see up front, not just a guy. They didn't have a guy. They had three guys, you know. And on the other side of the ball, they had three guys there, too. So it's like in the Big 12, you may hit, a school may have a guy. And, uh, and that's up front I'm talking about, in the trenches. And and that was I, I said to uh, Luke Fickle, you see head coach, I'm like coach, what do you think, man? Can you compete in the trenches? I mean, I I think your skill guys can compete with anybody. But what do you think about up front? I mean, these SEC schools now they're, they're legit. That's that's men. That's men playing up there. And he goes, man, that's my that's my biggest fear. You know, that's that's what I'm concerned about. And the first drive, Alabama runs like ten straight passes. Uh, excuse me, 10 straight running plays right down the football field and finish it with a play-action pass for a touchdown. And I'm like, oh, boy, you know, that's exactly uh, the, the, the trench warfare was was all tilted one way. And, and you're right. I mean, it, it, the SEC, you know, that's that's like uh, that, that's a that's a better level of football than practice squad players in the National Football League in a lot of cases, you know? Yeah, it's amazing. I'm going to get you to one of my favorite uh, stories here because for those who don't know in these parts, um, you're a wordsmith too. And you, you, I, I steal so much of your shit over the years and, and I give you credit now, but I mean, it just cracks me up. I, I tell some of them all the time. Before, before I get you to one of those, Lappy, I love, you know, when the when the what happened with Cincinnati this year. I'd like to see an expansion, and I and we love March Madness and hoops because of the Butlers of the world, the Gonzagas in the past. They're now looked upon as like an Alabama, but you know what I'm talking about. I would love to see you know eight teams. So you have the quote unquote Cinderella team. You have a group of five team that's had a phenomenal year. Um, is that what you'd like to see? I would. I would like to see that. I, I, I'd like to see more more uh, teams, uh, you know, more schools get an, an opportunity because, you know, again, the SEC, and particularly now, I mean, Georgia and Alabama, come on, man. That is, what what college recruit or high school recruit that gets a letter from Alabama or Georgia is going to think about any place else? Uh, I mean, it's going to be that's number one and 1A, whichever order you want to go. Uh, on, on their list right now. I mean, they're they're both just behemoth programs, and it's it's the has and have nots. Uh, but if you if you did expand it, and if you did have a situation where somebody rises up and knocks off one of the big boys, now all of a sudden that's a you see is recruiting a different level of athlete right now, just by the mere fact that they were in the conversation, they were in the dance as such. And um, and Luke Fickle has done a good job of. Of recruiting a, a higher caliber athlete uh, even before this, but now, man, he's getting in. He's getting in living rooms that wow, you know, three years ago wouldn't even bother sending a letter. So it, it is. I mean, I, I I think the more opportunity you, you give uh, you give schools, the better it is. And, and like you said, Drew, I mean, everybody. I mean, it's it's life. Everybody likes the underdog. Everybody likes somebody that came out of nowhere. And achieve some kind of success because everybody can relate to it. You know, if, when, you, when you're in school uh, and you're competing, uh, you know, even in your neighborhood, and you're competing against a kid that's two years older and he's always he's always whipping you, he's, he's the stud, he's always beating on you, 
And then all of a sudden, two years go by and you catch up to him in growth and everything, and then you start whipping on him. I mean, people people can relate to that. I mean, that's that's life, you know. And and that's what I'd like to I'd like to see is is everybody have uh, more of an opportunity to live their dream. I mean, that's what that's what this that's what this country and that's what everything about this country is all about, you know. Yeah, living your dream, man. Yeah, that's. That, that's well put. That, that is well put. And, and that's, again, I made the analogy. It's an easy one from a sports standpoint to March Madness, but we all gravitate to the 11 seed, the 13 seed who, who goes on a run, you know, Loyola, Chicago. But I mean, that can happen uh, at a certain level in football. I don't, I don't know if, you, you know, you're going to have a group of five be the last team standing, but in a given year, who the hell knows? But uh, I, I'm with you. I'd like to see expansion. All right. I, I got to get some lappy stories in there. Um, so we were talking about, listen, you and I did a, a bunch of non-conference games early in, in, in back in the big 12 days where, you know, Texas is playing a directional school and, um, one of your favorite lines, I, again, I've stolen this over the years. I do credit you though, is, is your X and O line. So I'll let you tell. So what, what, what do you, what do you say sometimes when it's like Alabama is playing uh Frostburg state? Yeah, I mean, when the X's are bigger, faster, stronger, you know, more athletic, more intelligent than the O's, you know, you've got no chance, man. It's like uh, that, that's that's case closed. You know, it's 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 one of those one of those scenarios where domination, and you know it's going to happen, and it's a train wreck, and you know it's about to occur, but you still want to close your eyes because you don't want to watch it. That's right. You can X and O all you want, but if they're big, as you said, bigger, stronger, faster, it don't matter, right? This is another one of my uh, all-time favorite Dave Lapham stories because anybody who played football at any level or any decent level remembers, you know, pregame speeches and before you go on the field. So I'm going to tee you up for one. You went to Syracuse. You were captain of the team at Syracuse. And this is, you know, you're laughing because you know where I'm going with this. I think you're in Happy Valley. You're taking on a paternal coach Penn State team, and they're where they typically are, number one or two or three in the country. Um, And you come in from pregame, so now it's a few minutes before you're going to run out under the tunnel. Uh, And and what what transpired prior to that? Yeah, I mean, they've got, you know, defensively, they've got Mike Reed, they've got Jack Ham, they've got all these players over there. Penn State, Joe Paterno had put together one of the, one of his great teams. They got Franco Harris, they have Lydell Mitchell, they everybody. So we're in the locker room and, and Ben, Ben calls everybody up. He says, men, I want you to go out there and, and give it every effort that you possibly can. But I got to tell you something. They got everybody we wanted out in, out in the recruiting wars. <laughs> they, they've got everybody that we were, we, we had our sights set on and we had targeted. We're thinking, we're looking at each other like, man, that's great. That makes us feel great. How far down the list were we on those, on those recruiting lists on a position basis? And, uh, you know, again, they're bigger, they're faster, they're stronger, they're better. But go out and give them help. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you, when you first told me that story, man, years ago, I was, I was crying laughing. They got everybody we wanted. Go get them, see? <laughs> They, they get everybody we want, and now let's go kick their butt. Yeah, okay, coach, that's great. Here we go. Yeah, that was that was 
That one was classic. By the way, though, I always felt that you were, uh, you know, you come across a smart guy, you're a legend in, in Southern Ohio and, and so on, but you're really a dumbass because um, I don't know how many of your <laughs> listeners realize that you could have gone to Harvard and, you know, gotten a fairly decent education, one would think, and played football there. And then I think you probably would have gone to that terrific career you had in the NFL, but instead you went to Syracuse. I love Syracuse. My sister went there, but, you know, most people don't turn down Harvard. You did. No, you're right. And, and my mother, who was very academically oriented, she graduated number one in her class um, in high school. Uh, she she wouldn't talk to me for a year. She was more than pissed. Oh, my goodness. And she said, she's like, that's why we're staying in New England. Smarty pants. Harvard. <laughs> uh, I, schools. I did. I got accepted to all the Ivies, you know, Harvard, Yale, they're all of them. And, uh, and when I turned, when I told her I wasn't going to go, that I wanted a better combination of athletics and academics. And, you know, I, and I realized, you know, Calvin Hill, Dick Duron, there were some great players that, uh, you know, uh, played at Yale and, and, and at Harvard as well that had NFL careers, but there weren't a whole lot of lines, you know, the skill guys. And I thought, as a lineman, man, I gotta, I gotta go compete against, you know, some of these better players at these better conferences and prove that I can play. And still, you know, don't shirk the education. You know, make sure that you're, you're taking care of that part of it. You're, you're a student athlete, and students uh, first before the athlete. So, um, you know, it worked out. And uh, my mother eventually acquiesced, and uh, when I'd call home, she would answer the phone eventually. <laughs> nice. And you want to know what? And actually, Dave, Dave, Dave Jr., your son, doubled down on that because he turned down Harvard and went to another great school, Miami of Ohio, and played baseball there. So, you know. The, You're exactly right. Played yeah. football and baseball there and turned down Harvard. And, and he, he, I, had no, I had no recourse. You know, I'm like, Dave, you sure? Hey, what do you mean? You turned it down. He said, yeah. I, I, Dad, when I visited, he said, the only friends I'd have are my coaches. He goes, man, they're weird over there at Harvard. <laughs> Dave, I made it easy. Um, I just didn't even apply. So <laughs> there you go. Hey, by the way, do you remember? We got to leave this one nameless. Do you remember that game where I, I know where we were in Nebraska? And I'm not going to say because this will start to give it away. They were playing a school and they're up. And this was when Nebraska was in their heyday. They're up 49 to, to Zippo at halftime. And we had uh, it, it, on the sideline was an attractive and very talented young lady, and the visit, she was getting ready to interview the visiting head coach who was getting his doors blown off, and he was the happiest guy in the stadium. Um, which we were, you and I, off camera, are looking at each other, going, "Well, that's a little strange, isn't it?" <laughs> he was hoping for digits. He wanted digits, man. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. A lot of good times through the years um, with you, brother. And um, I'm proud. Listen, anybody who has not caught a Cincinnati, well, everybody has at this point. But you've been doing the Bengals forever. And, and Dave, to say you get fired up, I mean, you you could go put the pads on. It sounds like from from how excited you get in the booth when the Bengals are making a play. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun. I mean, it just you know, the, I, I, the Bengals organization gave me my opportunity. You know, I feel such a sense of loyalty uh, to them for that, and they now allowed me to do the games for so many years. It, it's it's fun, and and I'll, I'll tell you what, you, uh, when we were doing games together, I can honestly say this and. 
as talented a broadcaster as you are, you're even a better human being. There is nobody walking the face of the earth that is a better person than Drew Goodman. Well, shit. I don't know. I don't know about that, and I don't even know how to follow up. But um, I, I tip my hat because I, you know, I think the world of you. And um, we'll uh, when this COVID thing officially lifts and, and the Rockies are rolling to uh, the Queen City, uh, we'll, we'll do our annual lunch. But listen, good luck to uh, first and foremost. Good luck to you. Best to to Lynn and your children. And um, and and good luck this weekend, the Bengals, man. They're they're fun to watch, and uh, I I really appreciate the time as always, brother. Thanks a lot, Drew. Yeah, it's, it's been they're, they're entertaining. There's no question about it. Every team that frustrated fans from time to time, they can be frustrating, but they are definitely entertaining. And uh, and, and best best of everything. Have a great 2022, you and the and the entire Goodman family. It's well deserved, and uh, and keep rolling, my man. As always, big thanks to uh, to Lappy, and I have to tell you, I there's a lot of stories we can't tell, even on a podcast uh, of being together. Just funny, 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 funny stories, and where we would be crying, we were laughing so hard. That I mean that that's a good laugh, right? When you when you have tears rolling down your face. And you're an adult. You're, you're not a seven-year-old giggling in the corner. When you're an adult and you're crying, laughing, man, that's a good laugh. And I've had countless ones with Dave through the years, man. There's nobody better. And he's he's still kicking ass uh, after 35 years with the Bengals, after a terrific career as a, as an offensive lineman, as a guard uh, with Cincinnati played for a year in the USFL with, uh, with the New Jersey generals and, uh, and Herschel Walker, in fact, as well. So again, big thanks, uh, to Dave, um, real quick before we get on out of here, baseball, as we tape this, getting ready to, uh, renew conversations, thankfully, thankfully, thankfully between the, uh, owners and the players association. And, uh, I don't have to read all the details, though I will because it's my job. Just get the damn deal done before spring training. You don't want to lose spring training games, have a delay, uh, God forbid, of the season. The bad juju it would bring baseball with the general public uh, I, I can't even begin to tell you. They know that. Both sides know that. Now they're going to bargain. They're going to, and just, you know, it's going to be tough and so on. Just don't miss games. Just get the damn thing done by, you know, hopefully the first week of February. All right. Uh, big reminder speaking of baseball, to join my friend Patrick Lyons on the DNVR Rockies podcast. He comes out five days a week. I join him once uh, a week there, and the DNVR has everything covered. Uh, each week, whether it be the Rockies, the Broncos, the Nuggets, the Avalanche, CU, CSU, they got everything covered. So uh, download all of their podcasts and, and all their good written material as well. Join DNVR. We'll do it again next week. Jay Norvell, the head coach of Colorado State, will be our special guest. Uh, that's one you don't want to miss. So till next week, stay well, stay healthy, everyone, and uh, appreciate your time. Take care, man. 